Welcome to the Week in Health Law and another COVID-19 Law and Policy Briefing produced by Public Health Law Watch, a George Consortium initiative at Northeastern University School of Law. Thank you to our co-sponsors, the Center for Health Policy and Law at Northeastern, the Center for Public Health Law Research at Temple University, the Network for Public Health Law, Change Lab Solutions, and the APHA Law Section. For more information on COVID legal response, please check out our report, Assessing Legal Responses to COVID-19. In the report, 50 national experts assess the U.S. policy response and provide specific recommendations on how federal, state, and local leaders can better respond to COVID-19 and future pandemics. You can find volume one of our assessment at covid19policyplaybook.org, and volume two is going to be coming out later this month. On Twitter, Please use the hashtag COVID Law Briefing or any questions or comments in response to this briefing. I'm Wendy Parmet, Faculty Director for the Center for Health Policy and Law at Northeastern University. Joining me today are Nick Terry, my partner in crime on the editorial board of the COVID-19 Policy Playbook, and Hall Render, Professor of Law and Executive Director of the Hall Center for Law and Health, Indiana University, Robert H. McKinney School of Law. And our other guest is Jessica Roberts, Professor of Medicine and Leonard H. Childs, Professor in Law and Director of the Health Law and Policy Institute at the University of Houston Law Center. Welcome to both of you. As I think about everything that woulda, coulda, and shoulda do for the pandemic, it all keeps coming back to the issue of data, right? We talk about we should have data-informed responses based things on the data and the science. But that raises a lot of questions, right? What data do we need? How do we get it? How do we keep it private and secure? So as we think about moving forward, and particularly as we start to imagine building a better response for the next problem, I think we really need to have this conversation about data. So I'm so thrilled to have both of you here. And I'll start with you, Nick. Um, what went wrong with our data policies during the current pandemic? Well, thank you, Wendy. Um, And as you noted in the AGPH uh, post-truth pandemic piece that you wrote with Jeremy Paul, successful public health response to outbreaks such as COVID-19 depends on broad dissemination and widespread acceptance of accurate information. A few weeks ago on one of these briefings, you and I discussed the problems caused by misinformation. However, the lack of public trust in or the otherwise ineffective of public health information are not only caused by misinformation, but also by defects in the life cycle of public health law data, by which I mean everything from collection to management to analysis to distribution. During COVID-19, the data flaws were pretty easy to identify, and we still have many of them. Uh, politicization, a lack of centralized leadership, and defects in data management policies are the most obvious. The politicization was a close relative of the misinformation we discussed, as the White House, HHS, and CDC fought over data collection and distribution, while some states seemed to go as far as suppressing data going to the severity of the pandemic, not looking at you, Florida. 
Similarly, the lack of centralized leadership played out with data as it did with other necessities in the viral fight. Uh, however, the broadest problem we identified was the substandard data governance at both federal and state level. Everything from a lack of interoperability, and how many times have we all discussed that in the health space, basic data standardization, such as whether confirmed cases include presumptive positive cases, a lack of granular on sociodemographic variables, chronic underreporting of, for example, asymptomatic infections, deaths or nursing home deaths, looking at you, New York, and even the persistence of data being collected and disseminated via analog methods, such as the uh, health policy's favorite uh, piece of technology, the fax machine. So overall, I think the U.S. brought a data knife to the pandemic gunfight. When you were talking, Nick, you mentioned a lack of information about socioeconomic factors, and that leads me to my question for you, Jessica, can you talk a little bit more about why it's important that data collection address health disparities and what we can do about that? Absolutely. So first, thank you all so much for having me here. But those of us who work in health law, it comes as no surprise that there are serious health disparities in the United States. But I think that for many Americans, this was really the first time that they were confronting a lot of these issues. And it was starkly clear the kinds of inequities that we have. And that is in part because we did get some data. But the problem is, is that our data has not been comprehensive and it hasn't been deep. So Nick has written about various kinds of data siloing, and we definitely had siloing with respect to the public health response. So you know, we're collecting data about you know, rates of spread or we're collecting data about outcomes, but the data might have lacked depth because we don't have information about the individual's prior conditions, whether they're people with disabilities, their socioeconomic status, their race or ethnic identity. And so without this kind of data, it's very hard for us to meaningfully track health disparities. And if we want to address health disparities, the very first step is identifying them. And so if we fail to adequately identify them, right, we can't respond to them and we can't create meaningful intervention. And we saw a data breakdown with respect to various demographic categories when we were tracking the spread of the infection. Initially, we've seen a, a lack of good data with respect to people's outcomes and various kinds of social determinants of health that might have complicated people's outcomes. And now we're seeing it with the vaccine rollout. So we don't have good information about who's getting vaccines, where they're getting vaccines, and then the various barriers to getting vaccines. We have some information, but if we really want to get in there, and this is something that is important to the current pandemic right now, if we want to make sure that we have vaccine equity, we have to understand who's getting vaccinated, where they're getting vaccinated, and the people who aren't getting vaccinated, why? So we can then take measures to make sure that we give them equitable access. And so good data collection and making sure that we have all of these categories is an essential first step for us to be able to address the disparities further down the line. Great. So Nick, um, we said a little bit earlier that 
volume two of our playbook is coming out in a few weeks, uh, coming to a newsstand near you or no, I guess the internet. Um, what reforms or improvements did you and your co-authors or other contributors to volume two recommend with respect to these issues that you and Jessica are talking about? Well, I think we could probably um, go up a couple of thousand feet, Wendy, and, and look at the report overall or both reports, frankly, um, and how so often we were struck by the fundamental imperatives of decreasing fragmentation in our systems, both public health and, and, and clinical care, and improving the federal, state, tribal, local interfaces. And those big picture problems and, and the necessities to fix those, I think, are as true uh, for the individual issue of data uh, as they were for so many of the other subjects we looked at. Um, first, data collection. Um, in addition to sort of the granular sociodemographic data that Jessica discussed, our, ex our experts recommended more and more uniform data collection around health, uh, COVID-19, morbidity and mort mortality, disability and sexual orientation and gender identity issues. We just don't collect the right data in the right way. Second, data governance. Uh, here, uh, Jessica, Leah Fowler, and myself, in, in our chapter, we stressed both sort of process and substance issues, I think. Uh, we don't think the process questions will be fully resolved without a single federal agency or data trust being in charge of public health data with clear and transparent communications with state and local public health agencies. As to substance, we need to standardize data data types, collection and transmittal modes. And we need to do that through legislation, regulations, model statutes, professional guidelines. And that standardization must apply to federal, state, tribal, and local authorities. The federal government should publish clear and transparent policies on time, here looking at you again, CDC, and processes based on scientific best practices for collecting, maintaining, and disseminating data. This is, data world is not one that particularly seems to suit tight regulation. It seems to work better with good best practices type of approaches in our experience. Third, we need to up our game in innovation in disease surveillance. Um, federal and state governments working together should improve disease surveillance by dramatically increasing syndromic surveillance, which seems to really have some punch to it, genomic surveillance, where the US seems to lag behind other countries. Uh, remember, it was the UK that first discovered the first meaningful variant on uh, the coronavirus. Um, and digital epidemiology uh, that many of us have written about, that we really need to leverage non-public health data uh, to, to really up our game here. Fourth, data distribution. Even the best data have limited utility if they're not rapidly available to decision makers and the public. Uh, United States botched its COVID-19 response in part because of serious missteps, not only regarding data collection and management, but also its distribution. In addition to improving the quality of the data collected, we must ensure the data and derived information, once collected, are readily available to the parties that require them. Both scientists and laypeople find dashboards, interactive online public health tools that provide community members with pandemic-related information in a given geographic area, particularly useful. Dashboards
board should have a stated purpose to provide reliable, up-to-date, local COVID-19-related information and clear, uniform policies about how they collect, manage, and protect their data. Best practices again need to be followed, and dashboard create curators should work to standardize their data presentation. For example, do you prevent data on a linear or logarithmic scale? We need people to understand that these work in the same way across multiple dashboards. The goal of pandemic dashboards is to provide citizens with reliable, up-to-date information about the pandemic in their area. Uh, and I think the more we facilitate quick access to accurate dashboard data is particularly important for older and other high-risk or vulnerable individuals so that they can make informed decisions. As we sort of slowly emerge from what we hope is the worst of COVID-19, I think we're going to move back to um, some of our traditional effective public health tools coming back into play and things like being able to do hotspot identification and quickly move in with contact tracing into those areas. Things that frankly have not been possible during the mass outbreaks. That's going to be data-driven and we must be ready for that. Thank you. So Jessica, one thing we haven't talked about very much yet is privacy. And that's really important, obviously, when we're talking about collecting data. So can you talk a little bit about how data stewards can balance getting the information with protecting the privacy and ensuring that proper stakeholders can access the data? Absolutely. So this is a very important question, I think, for all of our work and something that we've we've thought about a significant amount, right? How do we balance this important data accessibility that Nick was talking about to make sure the right data gets in the right people's hands, but also that we're adequately protecting the privacy of individuals and that we have appropriate data security measures. And so as Nick mentioned, when we're talking about data security and privacy, often best practices approaches makes the most sense. You can't necessarily have a one-size-fits-all rigid structure. You have to think broadly. And one of the things that really matters for these issues is which data are we talking about and who is the kind, who is the end user that we're thinking about, right? So the different kinds of data governance structures and models that we might adopt could depend on the kind of data and the user. And so to take the dashboard example that Nick mentioned. So for a, a dashboard, what is a, a pandemic dashboard? Well, it's this interactive tool. And the real goal is to get reliable information out there and accessible to people in a, in a, in a way that makes sense to them. And so you're talking more in those contexts about things that are like aggregated data about what's going on in your particular community. And it might not raise raise the same kinds of privacy concerns as, say, identifiable or re-identifiable information related to geolocation, which could also have value for public health authorities. So the first question when we're thinking about how to properly balance privacy and access is who's accessing it, and then also what kind of data is it? And so for the dashboards, we might not have the same kinds of concerns because we're thinking about aggregated data. But then 
then when you think about some of these more integrated, deeper data sets, as I mentioned, that information is perhaps either you're identified or it's re-identifiable. You can really figure out who the data is from if you take a close look. And in that situation, you're going to need more data governance. And so one thing that we looked at in our chapter is the possibility of something called a data trust, which was actually a model that was adopted in some places in the UK or adopted, I think, in the in the UK. Um, and the elements of a data trust is first, you know, when you're thinking about data, you have to make sure that you're complying with all the existing law. So for legal scholars, this should be a no-brainer, right? But it can be very difficult when we're talking about something where there is a pandemic that's happening worldwide, right? But we need to at least integrate, you know, making sure that if the CDC is doing something, there's data available that you're complying with all of the relevant jurisdictions, which can get pretty complicated sometimes. And that you're complying with their standards related to, you know, collecting the data, warehousing the data, sharing the data and all that, right? And this again is difficult in the United States because as Nick was saying, we don't have a comprehensive federal data statute yet. We don't have a very clear standards for this stuff. But the first element of a data trust is you have to make sure you're complying with all the, the relevant law. And then next is you need a clear governance structure. So who's collecting the data from whom? How is it being stored? And then after that, you need to make sure that you have well-defined processes and policies. So something that we need to remember is that this stuff is a moving target. We need to be flexible. So we have those data governance structures, but then say that there's a new stakeholder that needs access. We need to have policies and procedures in place so that we can go back and revisit the data we're collecting, revisit those structures and have a clear map for how that's going to work. Then we need to have training for users. So we need to make sure that the folks that handle the data know what they're doing and it's not susceptible to data breaches and leaks. And that, you know, if we are trying to de-identify something, we need to make sure it happens properly. You know, we need to make sure the right data is stored in the right places and you know that it's it's collected in a way that is respectful and appropriate. And so this is all important to, you know, train the individuals who are going to use it. And then finally, and I think very important to our current situation is we need public engagement and stakeholder engagement. So we saw, you know, the, the way we handled the pandemic at the beginning here in the United States was not fantastic. And I think that a lot of members of the public lost trust in the government and its ability to act and, you know, combat the pandemic. But we need access to all of this data for all of the reasons that we've been talking about, right? It's something that's essential to understanding what happened here. It's something essential to understanding what we might do in the future and improving our responses. So one way to do this is to engage the public and be transparent and say, you know, is this working for you? What information do you want? You know, do you feel secure giving information, you know, to this particular data steward? Why or why not? Um, and that's something that is a more is a more complicated kind of structure, but might be appropriate, you know, when you're thinking about these deep data sets that could be useful to researchers or public health authorities in, you know, figuring out what's happening now and also crafting our, our responses in the future. That was great. Thank you so much. We are out of our of time today, but I have a feeling that this conversation needs to continue. So um, we may come back to the issue of data because, as we've all said, it's sort of underlies everything. So thank you very much to my guests. 
thanks to Nick Terry and Jessica Roberts, to all of you for listening today, and our producers, Faith Kalik and Liz Voiles. For the next few weeks, we'll be broadcasting here on Twitter every Tuesday and Thursday at noon Eastern time. Just go to at PHLAWWatch or search hashtag COVID Law Briefing. Recordings are available on the Public Health Law Watch website, and the shows are archived by the Week in Health Law podcast at www.twihl.com. We'll see you next time. Please wear your mask, stay socially distanced, and when possible, get vaccinated.